If you'll turn in your Bibles, if you have your Bible on your iPhone or your iPad or you have a hard copy like I do, would you turn to the Gospel of John chapter 16 and just 10 verses, verses 5 through 15. And Jesus was talking to his disciples. This was um, the evening that he was betrayed. He was in that upstairs room with his disciples. He had washed their feet, including the feet of Judas. Do you remember? They showed them what a servant was, and then he taught them about heaven. He taught them about persecution. He taught them that he was the vine. They were the branches. They could do nothing without him. And he taught them about the Holy Spirit. And that's the subject for the message today. Chapter 16, verse 5. Now I'm going to him who sent me, yet none of you ask me, where are you going? Because I've said these things, you're filled with grief, but I tell you the truth. It's for your good that I'm going away. And I want you to just stop there for me. He said, it's good that I'm going away. How could that be? And then he answers that, unless I go away, the counselor, which is another name for the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. In other words, it's better to have the Holy Spirit within us than it is to have Jesus with us. That's astounding. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin, righteousness, and judgment. Down in verse 12, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That's why I said the spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. In a little while, you will see me no more, and then in a little while, you will see me. Pray with me, please. So, Father, we come before you this morning, and we don't just want to be inspired or moved or brought to tears. We want this to be an encounter with you. And we know that's only possible if the Spirit of the living God comes down and speaks to us through the Word. So we're asking now, please, as we open our hearts and minds, that you would give us the mind to understand the Scripture. And we're asking this of the one that we believe is the Creator, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the father of Jesus of Nazareth, the one who has revealed himself as being three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it's in Jesus' name and for his glory we ask for your blessing. Amen. I was wondering while I was praying for you all this morning and thinking about coming here, is there anybody here that's lonely? And I thought that might not be a appropriate question to ask when you're living in a city and you're surrounded by millions of people, but then I wondered, you know, you can be in a crowd and still feel alone. And you feel sometimes that there's nobody who truly knows you, who doesn't really understand you, who is not there to walk beside you, listen to you, you know, receive your trust and not betray your confidences in somebody who loves you without condition. They don't withhold it if you please them or don't please them. You know, they just love you. And loneliness has knocked on my door in the last four years, well, different times in my life, but four years ago, I found my husband unresponsive in our pool, and EMS came. We rushed him to the hospital, put him on life support. Two days later, he went to glory. I buried him two days before our 49th wedding anniversary, and so I was thrust suddenly into to widowhood, and I know many of you know what that's like. And three years later, my father, whom I loved and adored, um, he also went to heaven. 
And both of those men, not because they chose to, of course, but they left without saying goodbye. So there was no chance to have a final, I love you, thank you, you know, to say all the things that you've said, but you just want to say them at the last. And, and I became not only a widow, but an orphan. And then six months after my father went to heaven, I was diagnosed with cancer and went through surgery, chemo, radiation, you know, the whole nine yards. And I know many of you understand that. And there was no husband to discuss things with, no husband to ask, which doctor should I go see? No father to run to and say, you know, help me. Can you set me up at Mayo Clinic or someplace? You know, just I was on my own. And loneliness knocked at my door, but I'm going to tell you something, and I mean this with all my heart, and I'm sincere when I say, loneliness never came in. And the reason for that, amen, the reason for that is because of the constant companionship of the Holy Spirit. And I want to tell you about it. I was born and raised in a Christian home, and we loved Jesus, obeyed Jesus, served Jesus, told people about Jesus, but nobody taught me about the Holy Spirit. And I went to church every Sunday, and you know, the benediction was pronounced in the name of the Father, Son, and they called him the Holy Ghost. And at weddings and baptisms, and it was in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, which was sort of off-putting for a little girl. You know, I didn't, wasn't sure about the ghost part of the Trinity, and... <laughs> But it wasn't until I was a young adult and I was studying the scriptures for myself that I came into an awareness, more of an awareness of who the Holy Spirit is. And in this passage in John's gospel, there are seven things I want to point out to you about the Holy Spirit. This may be familiar to some of you. It may be brand new information for some of you. I'm just going to share with you what I know, all right? Just, and I keep it very simple. So in this first, the first point in this or the first um, item I want to point out about the Holy Spirit is that he's a person. And 10 times in these 11 verses, he's referred to by the personal pronoun he or him. So as Pastor Conlon read in that introduction, the Holy Spirit is not a flame of fire. He's not a dove. He's not a ghost. He's not an emotion. He's not an ecstatic feeling. The Holy Spirit is a living, invisible person. And he has a mind to think, and he has emotions to feel, and he has a will to act, and He's always been, you find him in the second verse of the Bible, the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the deep. That's the Holy Spirit. He's all the way through the Old Testament. But Jesus referred to him in John chapter 14, verse 16. He said, I'm going to ask the Father to give you another counselor. And he speaks of himself as a counselor, and the Father would give another counselor. And the word another means someone exactly the same as. So he was saying that the Holy Spirit, the counselor, would be another Jesus. Someone exactly the same as Jesus. And don't misunderstand me. He's a distinct person in his own right. But he's exactly like, just as Jesus is exact representation of God the Father, the Holy Spirit is exact representation of Jesus. So, praise God. And... There are names in scripture that reveal the character of the person to whom they're given, like Peter was, you know, called Simon because he was wishy-washy, impulsive, and then his name was changed to Peter because he was going to be so rock-like in his faith, he'd strengthen others. So names in scripture reveal character, and the names that are given the Holy Spirit reveal his character, and he's wonderful, and I'm not going to go through his names because of the sake of time, but he is a counselor and gives you wisdom. Help me 
have wisdom to know which doctor to go to. He's a comforter. When my husband was gone and my father's gone, he has comforted me on the inside. He's been a helper, helping me, you know, manage the household and pay bills for the first time. My husband always did it. You know, just helping me practically. He's, and so many names given to, to the Holy Spirit, our intercessor, our advocate, our strengthener, our standby. Just praise God for the Holy Spirit. He is a living, amen, a living, invisible person. So second thing I want to remind you of is his presence. So when did he come? And the Holy Spirit has always been because the Holy Spirit is God. He is eternal. So in chapter 1 of Genesis, verse 2, you find him hovering over the face of the deep. And all the way through the Old Testament, he's there. But we see him more coming upon people to anoint them for you know, a task, to work with gold or linen, or to equip them for leadership. And the most familiar example, perhaps, is Saul of Kish. He was the first king of Israel. And when he was anointed king, the Holy Spirit came upon Saul and equipped him to lead the nation. And he went from being a keeper of donkeys to being a leader of Israel. And then when Saul sinned and disobeyed God, the Holy Spirit was taken from Saul. He was given to the King David, the next king. And when King David was anointed king, the Holy Spirit came upon him, equipping him to lead the nation. And when David sinned against Bathsheba, do you remember what he prayed in the Psalms? Oh God, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Because he knew the Holy Spirit could be given and the Holy Spirit could be taken. So the Holy Spirit has always been, but in the Old Testament, he seemed to come and go. In the New Testament, we have a totally different experience. Starting at Pentecost, Jesus said in verse 7 of this passage, I'm going to send him to you. And he sent the Holy Spirit down at Pentecost, 50 days after the ascension of Jesus, excuse me, after the crucifixion, 10 days after the ascension, the Holy Spirit was given at Pentecost. Let me just describe sort of the before and after, if I can, because in the Old Testament, People were made right with God. If I can use a New Testament term, they were saved when, and keeping it simple, a sinner knew he had sinned. He took a little lamb to the temple and he grasped the lamb with both of his hands and he confessed his sin. And it was as though the guilt of his sin, the wrong things he had done before God that displeased God, were transferred to the little lamb. The sinner took the knife. The sinner killed the lamb. The priest took the blood of the lamb and sprinkled it on the altar to make atonement for his sin. And so think of all the rivers of blood, the oceans of blood that were shed. But Hebrews tells us that they never were sure that the lamb of bulls and goats could take away sin. But every time a sinner sacrificed with true faith, it was as though God said, I owe you forgiveness. I owe you forgiveness. So in the Old Testament, all these people sacrificing, receiving all of these IOU notes. And when Jesus of Nazareth was walking beside the Jordan River, John the Baptist said, there goes the lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world. And he paid up all of those IOU notes with his own blood. So in the Old Testament, they looked forward to the cross. They didn't know the name of Jesus, but they exercised their faith through that sacrificial system, okay? In the New Testament, after Pentecost, you and I look back to the cross. We exercise our faith. You know, I'm so thankful I don't have to go to a temple and slaughter a lamb and blood spurting everywhere. And, but I come by faith to the cross, and I come to the Lamb of God and I grasp him with my hands of faith and I confess my sin. And as it's though the guilt of my sin is transferred to the Lamb of God and the blood of Jesus makes atonement for my, my sin. And I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. 
But listen to me. You and I have something the Old Testament saints knew nothing about. When we do that, when we come to the cross by faith and we confess our sin and we ask God to forgive us and we open up our hearts and we ask him to come live inside of us, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. Never to leave us, never to forsake us. Praise God. So the Holy Spirit is Jesus living inside of me. Now you understand he's a distinct person in his own right. I just don't want there to be confusion there, okay? But he, Jesus said he's another me and he's living inside of me. So when I was a little girl, can't remember the year, I was seven, eight, or nine. I remember it was Good Friday. I was watching a picture about Jesus on TV, came to the cross and I knew he had died for me. And I told him I was sorry and I asked him to forgive me, to cleanse me with his blood and I invited Jesus to come live inside of me. And I believe he did. I didn't know about the Holy Spirit. So I just asked Jesus to come into my heart. Because you know something, a little parenthetical message, God doesn't have any grandchildren. Just because I'm Billy Graham's daughter doesn't mean I'm a child of God. You know, I, I had to make that decision myself. And I made it as a little girl and I invited Jesus into my heart and I believe he came into my heart. I was born again into his family so that inside of me, there was Anne, the person you know I was born as, my mind, my will, my emotions, and, and then came the Holy Spirit, and I became a new creation. So inside of me now, there are two people. There's the Anne, the old nature that's sin-infested, and there's the new creation, the life of the Holy Spirit with a mind to think the things of God and a heart to feel the things of God and to love people I don't even like and, you know, a will to do the right thing instead of the wrong thing. And that's the Holy Spirit. If I can explain it this way. You remember the Virgin Mary when the angel came to her and said, you're going to conceive a child. And Mary said, how can that be? I've never known a man. I've never had sexual intercourse. And the angel said, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. And that which you conceive within you is going to be the life of the Son of God. And Mary submitted to that and said, be it unto me according to your will. And she conceived within her the physical life of Jesus. And when you and I, come to the cross by faith. We confess our sin. We tell God we're sorry. We ask him to forgive us. We invite him to come in. He comes in and we conceive the spiritual life of Jesus within us. That's the Holy Spirit. We have a new creation on the inside. So this is my question. When have you invited Jesus to come live inside of you? When have you invited the Holy Spirit to come in? Please you know, once again, don't misunderstand me. It's the same thing. You invite Jesus into your heart. He understands. He can't come into you. He's, he's living in a man's body up in heaven. And I believe he's very soon to come back and rule and reign in this world. So when we ask him to come in, he comes in in the person of his spirit. But you have to ask him to come in. He's a gentleman. He doesn't go where he's not invited, you know? So you have to open up your heart and invite him to come. When have you done that? And if you can never remember a time when you've done it, how do you know you have? And I'm going to give you an opportunity at the end of this message to make that decision if you haven't. And if there's somebody here that's unsure, you know, because you say, Ann, every time somebody gives a message like this, I pray it all over again, you know, then maybe you've never prayed it once by faith. Because faith says, God, I've confessed my sin. And your word says, if I confess my sin, you'll forgive me. So I, I believe I'm forgiven. 
And faith says, if you ask God to give you eternal life, he will give you eternal life. And so faith says, God, thank you. And faith says, God, I've invited you to come into my heart. And your word says, if I open up the door and invite you to come in, you will come in, never to leave nor forsake me. And so faith just says, thank you. And you get on with living the Christian life, okay? God doesn't mean you to live in doubt and not being assured of your salvation. So he means for you to know that you know that you know, praise God, you're a child of God. And you're going home one day where there's, you know, we'll be set free. So the person of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit, make sure his presence is in you. And he will never leave you, never forsake you. I couldn't have made it through the last four years without him. Thirdly, his power. This passage reminds us that it's his power to convince the world of sin and the need to get right with God and judgment to come if they don't. And as a mother, so often I've wanted to convict my children, you know. <laughs> and when they're little, we train them. And, you know, but as they get older, and even when they go off and get married, have you ever wanted to be the Holy Spirit to your child? And, you know, convict them of this. And you, We're so good at seeing the sin in other people's lives, aren't we? I mean, I can see it in you, you know. It's hard to see it in myself. But the wonderful thing about the Holy Spirit, especially if, whoever we're praying for has the Holy Spirit. You just pray and the Holy Spirit can stir up in their lives and convict them of the very thing we see and that frees us up just to love them. And I think that's true also of people who don't have the Holy Spirit. We just pray and you know, ask the Holy Spirit to come upon them and give them that spirit of conviction, conviction of sin and the conviction of the need to get right with God and the judgment that they're under if they don't and... We just pray, and then we're free to love them. I don't think there's any room for pride and self-righteousness and a critical spirit because the ground is level at the foot of the cross, isn't it? And we've all come to the same place. We're all sinners. Praise God, I've been saved. I've been forgiven. I know that I'm going to heaven. But that's available for anybody. So praise God for his power. If he could transform planet Earth in Genesis chapter 1 from that dark, fluid, covered blob, he can take anybody's life and transform it. But it work, he works in conjunction with the words. Remember in Genesis 1, the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the deep. In verse 3, then the Word of God went forth, let there be light. So it was the conjunction of the Holy Spirit preparing it and the Word of God going forth so the Holy Spirit works through the Word of God. And you bring that person to church that you're praying for. Bring them to where they can hear the Word of God. Share the Scripture with them. And then pray. And pray that the Holy Spirit will hover over their hearts and minds and prepare them to be convicted of sin and righteousness and the judgment that they're saved from when they put their faith in Jesus. So, fourthly, I want to remind you of his precepts. And I was referring to that when I said the Holy Spirit works in conjunction with this book because this book says in 2 Timothy 3.18 that all scripture is God-breathed, useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, training, and righteousness. So the Holy Spirit has inspired your Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And if we say that this book has errors or myths or mistakes then we're slurring the integrity of the spirit of truth. That's one of his names. He's the spirit of truth. He doesn't lie. He doesn't spin the truth. 
He says what he means, and he means what he says. And so people who pick their way through Scripture and say, well, I can't believe in Adam and Eve, and who's ever heard of a talking snake? And I can't believe in Noah and the ark because all those animals could never fit on that boat. And I don't believe in Jonah and the fish because what fish has ever swallowed a man? And I don't believe that a man can be raised from the dead. And so you pick your way through, and you just grasp the things and believe the things you can understand, and you're on very shaky ground because there are many things in here I don't understand, but this is God's word, and the Holy Spirit inspired it from cover to cover, and I believe it. And God speaks to me through his word, and I don't want to digress too much, but he, I'll open my Bible, and there'll be a phrase or a verse, and it just leaps up off the page, and I know he's speaking to me. And I remember after going through chemo, I went through five sessions of chemo, and it was awful. I mean, I had side effects that even the doctor hadn't seen with my kind of chemo, and I just said, God, I can't take this anymore, and I was praying with my two daughters, and I felt like the Lord just impressed on me that he had healed me, and so I was thanking him, and the next morning, I said, God, if you've healed me, do I have to keep going through chemo? You know, I had two more sessions to go, and I said, I don't want a, just an impression when I pray. I want you to speak to me through your word. So my youngest daughter, Rachel Ruth, came over to the house, and she was sharing the message she was preparing for a Bible study. It was 2 Kings chapter 5, when Nahum and the Syrian general came to Elisha, and he wanted to be healed of his leprosy. And Elisha said, go dip in the Jordan seven times. And Nahum didn't want to do it, because the Jordan River was dirty, and he said, we've got better rivers than that in Syria. And, but Elisha said, you dip seven times, and you'll be healed. And I knew God was speaking to me. And you don't want to go through chemo seven times, but you go through seven times and you'll be healed. And that's the way he speaks to me through the word. Okay, so I went through my chemo seven times. I believe I'm healed. <laughs> but I also felt God wanted me to do what the doctor said. So I went through all the radiation and I just had my last um, infusion, not the big bad chemo, but the last infusion this past Tuesday. So I just praise God because I believe he's keeping his word, answering prayer. And I know, I expect many of you have prayed for me, and, uh, and I believe God has healed me in answer to people's prayers. And I want to thank you, those of you who have um, interceded on my behalf. So our God is a prayer-hearing, prayer-answering, miracle-working, covenant-keeping God, isn't he? Amen. <laughs> Fifthly, his purity. This almost goes without saying, but the Holy Spirit is holy. And to be holy means to be separate from sin. To be holy means to be like Jesus. To be holy means to be pleasing to God in every aspect of your life. So in the Holy Spirit, there is no meanness, no unkindness, no selfishness, no unforgiveness, you know, no pridefulness. The holy, there's no sinfulness at all. The Holy Spirit is holy. And when he comes into you and me, one of the things he starts to do is to clean us up <laughs> and to make us holy. And he will begin convicting us of one sin after another, just one at a time. If, if something comes to you and it's, you know, like a thought comes, you're just a mess, you'll never be right with God. God can't ever use, that's the enemy, okay? That's the devil. The Holy Spirit comes and he'll do it in an encouraging way and he'll convict you of one thing at a time and, and he'll help you as you put it out of your life and get things sorted out. And you and I live in a, how do I describe it? Our culture and our nation is morally filthy. And we're in a moral and spiritual freefall in our nation. But God's standards haven't changed. 
and God is still holy, and you and I are called to be holy as he is holy. So the Holy Spirit, one of his, can I say, jobs <laughs> is to clean us up, to make us right before God. And somebody once said that he's the most uncomfortable comforter they've ever had. <laughs> because he will convict you. And when he does, you just bring your sin to the cross. You're already forgiven, okay? You're forgiven of all of your sin, praise God. All of your sin is under the blood, but we come back every day to confess our sin, that we might be cleansed, that we might be filled with his spirit, that we might be in a right relationship with God, that nothing would come between us and the Father. So what sin is there in your life that needs to be put out? What sin is there, a habit, an attitude, Bitterness, unforgiveness, lust, pridefulness, a nagging spirit, self-righteousness, you know, whatever it is, as the Holy Spirit brings it to your mind and convicts you of it, talk to him about it and put, just crucify it. Cruci just take it to the cross in your mind and it's that sin that nailed Jesus to the cross and you put it under the blood of Jesus and ask the Holy Spirit to set you free from the entanglements of that sin, and he will. And you may have to, like me, going to radiation. I had to go every day for a month. So you go back and back and back and back to the cross. And the cross acts like radium on cancer, <laughs> radium on sin, and it will break that hold of sin in your life. So the Holy Spirit is pure, and the Holy Spirit, sixthly, prays for you. Isn't that a wonderful thought? Do you have a, yeah, praise God. And I need prayer. And I've needed prayer desperately all my life, but especially in the last four years and especially in the last year. And to know that the Holy Spirit is praying for me. Romans 8, 26 says he prays without words. He can pray with groanings because he lives inside of me. He knows how I feel, how I think, my fears, my hopes, my dreams, my apprehensions, my questions. And, and he lives ever before the throne of God so he can translate my prayers and convey my prayers right before God the Father. And he knows how to get answers to his prayers. So I don't know if you have a prayer partner. If you don't, I suggest you get one. Maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's somebody in this church. Come to the prayer meeting that the church offers, but sometimes in a meeting like that, we don't want to share, you know, some of our deepest thoughts and fears, but the Holy Spirit is there. You can pour out your heart to him. He never breaks a confidence. You can trust him with your feelings. Trust him with your fears. Trust him with your failures. You know, just let him have it. Let him pray for you. He's praying for you anyway, so just talk to him about it. And he prays for you. This was my aha moment when I was studying about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit loves you. Somehow I'd missed that. And I came across it when it says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And grief, I thought I, I grieve for my mother because I love her. And she's with Jesus. And I grieve for my husband because I loved him. And he's with Jesus now. And I grieve for my daddy because he's in heaven. He's with, and I I grieve for those that I love. And that just stopped me because I thought, if I grieve for those that I love, then the Holy Spirit grieves for me. That means he loves me. So when I do the right thing, he rejoices. When I do the wrong thing, he grieves. I had thought 
that when the Holy, when I asked Jesus in my heart, the Father said, all right, now, Holy Spirit, you go into Anne, and she's your job to clean her up and make her right with me. And then one day, the Holy Spirit would present me to the Father and say, well, I've done the best I could with what I was given. And, <laughs> and But then I discovered the Holy Spirit loves me, and he's emotionally caught up in my life, and he loves for me to do the right thing and rejoices, and he grieves when I do the wrong thing. And oh, my goodness, he prays for us with a heart of love, and he wants the best for you. And he, he knows, knows you better than you know yourself. And he understands you, and he loves you. And he will never leave you, never forsake you, never betray you. So lastly, his priority. And in the end of this passage, it says he takes the things of Jesus and makes them known to us. He has one priority that's twofold. And it's the written word of God. He's written and inspired all of scripture, Genesis to Revelation, that when we read our Bibles, that we would see the living word of God, who is Jesus. So his priority is Jesus. The written word, it reveals the living word. When I was a little girl, my grandmother kept me when I was sick, and she would have a big jigsaw puzzle on the table. And, you know, we don't do jigsaw puzzles anymore. At least I don't, because I don't have time. But it's a picture pasted on cardboard, and then it's cut up in all these funny little shapes. And you turn the little pieces over to see a bit of the picture. But when you put the pieces together and replicate the picture on the box, then the puzzle is solved, okay? A lot of people think the Bible is like a jigsaw puzzle. All these funny little pieces, and they don't quite know how they fit together. And it's the Holy Spirit that comes along and turns over the puzzle pieces and shows us the picture of a man on the other side. And the whole Bible is about Jesus. So in Genesis 1, I've already told you the Spirit of God was in verse 2, but verse 3 says, and God said, let there be light, and there was. And all the way through Genesis 1 is that little phrase, and God said, and we would think that's nouns and pronouns coming out of the mouth of God until we come to the gospel of John chapter 1 verse 1 and the Holy Spirit turns over the puzzle piece and it says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh and it's Jesus we've beheld him full of grace and truth Jesus right there in Genesis chapter 1 verse 3 chapter 2 of Genesis when the Lord God is planting a garden in the in Eden, and we see him grubbing in the dirt and planting trees, and the Holy Spirit turns a puzzle piece over and shows us the pre-incarnate Son of God, the first homemaker, preparing a home for his children and forming Adam out of the dust of the ground and breathing his own life into Adam so that the puzzle piece is turned over and we find that Jesus, pre-incarnate, is our creator, that our very breath comes from him. Chapter 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, they were removed from God's presence, but before he removed them from the garden, he killed an animal, and he covered them in skins. And you wonder if tears were coming down. This is the pre-incarnate son, the Lord God, and tears coming down his face because he knew that he would cover their shameful nakedness with the you know, skin of an animal, but one day he would be the lamb slain to cover us with his blood. And the puzzle piece turns that, the Holy Spirit turns that puzzle piece over and we see the Lamb of God clothing his children so they would be covered in their nakedness. And next time we get a good look at him is in Genesis 18, Abraham's in the heat of the, the day, he's sitting in the door of his tent and three men come up and one of them says, Abraham, I'm going to come back next year and you and Sarah are going to have a son. And Abraham was 99 years of age and Sarah was 89 years of age and they'd never had a son and Next year, 
they had a son named Isaac because that was the pre-incarnate son of God. And the Holy Spirit turns over the puzzle piece showing us that God keeps his word. And <laughs> Jacob, Abraham's grandson, had gone off to exile because he had stolen the birthright. And so he had to run away from his brother. He comes back to claim his birthright after 20-some years and goes to cross the Jabbok River to claim everything that was his. And he met a man there. And the man wrestled with him all night. He wasn't going to let Jacob claim his inheritance in his own strength. And the Holy Spirit turns over the puzzle piece, and we see the pre-incarnate Son of God blocking Jacob's way until he was broken of his own strength and went in in dependence upon God. And we keep on going. Joshua outside of Jericho, and he bumps into the captain of the Lord's host, and he says, take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. And then he tells him how to take Jericho, and the Holy Spirit turns over the puzzle piece, and we see the captain of the Lord's host is the pre-incarnate son of God, and the victory had nothing to do with military strategy, everything about obedience to God. And, and we can just, you know, we can keep on going, can't we, through the Old Testament? Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego refused to bow down to that statue of gold, and Nebuchadnezzar threw them in into the fiery furnace. And Nebuchadnezzar then rubs his eyes and said, I threw three in there. How come I see four? And the fourth is like the son of God, the pre-incarnate son showing up in the fire with his children. Ezekiel sitting in a refugee camp beside a dirty irrigation canal. And there's a storm that comes into his life. And on the wings of the storm is a sapphire throne. And on the throne is someone like the son of man coming to speak to his child Ezekiel. And the Holy Spirit turns over the puzzle piece and shows that even someone in a refugee camp can be a prophet. You know, be used of God. And Isaiah, who talked about the lamb by whose stripes would be healed. The one whose name would be Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And he turns over those puzzle pieces until we come with the shepherds in Bethlehem. And they run to that stable and they look into the manger. And there's a little baby who's just been born. And the Holy Spirit turns over the puzzle piece. And we find ourselves looking into the face of God. And the pre-incarnate son is no longer pre-incarnate. He has become carnate. He is in the flesh. And we see him hanging on a cross. And the Holy Spirit turns over the puzzle piece. And we know that's not a, just a crucified man by the Romans. You know, not somebody just murdered. That's the Lamb of God being sacrificed for the sin of the world. Three days later, we see an empty tomb. And the Holy Spirit turns over the puzzle piece. And we see Jesus as the risen Lord. And he's ascended into heaven. Until he turns over that ultimate puzzle piece and we see the sky unfold and a white horse whose rider is faithful and true coming back to reign and rule in this world. And it's Jesus. Listen to me. Over everything, under everything, around everything, at the beginning of everything, at the end of everything, it's Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Praise God. That's the Holy Spirit's priority. What is yours? What's the priority of your life? My challenge to you, make Jesus the number one priority of your life. And for some of you, the first thing you need to do is come by faith to the cross and confess your sin and tell him you're sorry and ask him to apply his blood to your sin to forgive you and to come into your heart. And you establish him as your savior and your Lord. You establish a personal relationship. Listen, 
God is not inviting you into a religion or into a denomination or into a tradition or into a church or you know God is inviting you into a personal relationship with himself you can't get more personal than Jesus in me and the Holy Spirit is Jesus in me so you make Jesus the first priority by making sure you've established a personal relationship with him through faith in Jesus Christ at the cross and the second thing you do if you've done that then you make him the first priority in the way you spend your time. When do you spend time with him? You spend time, you know, even through all the stuff the last four years, my cancer treatments, there's some days I couldn't get out of bed till noon, some days I couldn't get out of bed, but made time every day to read my Bible and to pray. That's the core of who I am. You can't let go of that, okay? He's, he's the first priority. First priority in the way you spend your money, your time, who you're with, where you go, what you do, and you just surrender everything to his authority. He is now Lord. He's in control. He's in charge, and you give him the control of your life. And if you don't, if your priority is anything other than Jesus first, anything more than Jesus first, anything less than Jesus first, then you're out of sync with the Holy Spirit. So I'm challenging you today, would you get in sync with the Holy Spirit? Would you, by faith, come to the cross, receive him as your savior? And if you've done that, then I'm challenging you to surrender everything to him, to put him first and ask him to fill your life. The Holy Spirit, we prayed or we sang that song, I want more of Jesus, more of Jesus, more of Jesus. Listen to me. The Holy Spirit is a person. You're not going to get him in pieces. So when you invited Jesus to come into your heart, when you ask the Holy Spirit to come in, you go, he comes in and you, you have all of the Holy Spirit you're ever going to get. Okay? So the newest believer here, if you just received Jesus by faith today, last week, you have as much of the Holy Spirit as I have, and I've known him you know, 60-some years. But this is the key. If you want more of Jesus, if you want more of the Holy Spirit, you make sure he has all of you. So, because we're very good at inviting Jesus to come in, and we say, you can have Sunday morning at church, but not Monday morning when I go to the office or go to work. You can have... Wednesday night prayer meeting, but you can't have Saturday night when I'm with my friends. You know, we sort of sort out our lives and we, we choose what we give him and we choose what we release and we choose what we hang on to and you can't do that. Not if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and can I tell you something? I know the devil will whisper in your ear that if you surrender everything, then God's going to ask you to do something embarrassing. He's going to do something you don't like. You know, I don't know what all the devil's whispering in your ear, but when you surrender everything and you ask the Holy Spirit to fill your life and you just let, let him in every little nook and cranny, that's where the fullness of blessing is. That's where the victory is. That's where the joy is. That's where the power is. So don't let the devil come telling you, don't surrender, don't give him everything, or you're going to come up short. I can tell you from the testimony of my own life, God had much more in mind for me than I ever dreamed possible.
And when I surrendered everything to him, gave him everything, that's when life took off. And I'll answer another question. I think you're going to answer at three o'clock. Why does God let bad things happen to good people? Why doesn't God stop the storms? So I'm just going to give you my answer, okay? Because why is it? It's when the storms come and the bad things happen, that's when we tend to look up. And I think we always need God, but for some reason we don't, we're not consciously aware of it until something bad happens. And I can tell you that when bad things happen, even to good people, God is there. And God has carried me through. Praise God. I have never lost my peace. I have never lost my joy. There have been tears. Don't misunderstand me, you know, and I've grieved, but never lost my strong sense of purpose. When I look back over the last four years, last year, I don't see the, I don't remember the pain and the suffering and the grief. What I remember is one blessing after another. And our God is a God from whom all blessings flow. So I want to issue that invitation if I could. And I'm going to remind you the invitation stands for those of you who have never been to the cross. If you want to come to faith by faith to Jesus today and know that your sins are forgiven, that you've grabbed him with your hands of faith, your guilt has been transferred to Jesus, he takes your sin and guilt, he takes the judgment that should have been yours, and you're under his blood, you're forgiven. And if you've made that decision, but you want to surrender everything to him and let the Holy Spirit take control, I'm just going to ask everybody to stand, and then those who want to make that decision, if you'll come down front, we'll we'll pray for you. And I believe those who are in overflow, you can go to the front of your room or you can join us here. And the ones online, I expect the Holy Spirit is right there with you and you can come to the screen, whatever you're watching on, and just make that decision yourself. So and we're just going to take a few moments. And I don't know what your custom is. I haven't been in this church, but as people come down, it's okay if you see somebody near you coming down, you can applaud. And just your way of encouraging them that they're making the best decision they've ever made. We're just going to take a few moments because especially those of you coming for the first time, Barriers of a lifetime can take a few moments to come down, can't they? And if someone feels the Holy Spirit is drawing you and your heart is beating and you're just scared to come down, scared to what it's going to cost you, just reach over to the person next to you, ask them to come down with you. (laughs) Come down with a friend, come down with a buddy, just come down with a stranger, just come down, come to Jesus. going to pray for a moment and then I'm going to pray with you but I'm just going to pray to myself just asking the Holy Spirit to move on the hearts of those convicting of sin the need to get right with God judgment to come if you don't and there is judgment for sin that's the message of the cross isn't it God would never have sent Jesus to the cross if there was any other way to take away your sin he took the judgment for us but if you don't claim Jesus as your savior then that judgment that falls on your sin is going to fall on you 
So come down. We're just going to wait for a few moments. I'm going to pray with those who have come. And if you're coming, you just can pray in your spirit as you come. And I want to pray first for those of you who have come for the first time. Okay, you're coming to the cross for the very first time to confess your sin, to claim Jesus as your Savior. So I'm going to pray slowly, out loud, and I'd like for you to pray after me. Would you do that? And you can pray out loud. In fact, everybody can pray out loud if you want, but I'm after the ones who've never done this before. And so you pray a prayer something like this. Dear God, I confess to you that I'm a sinner. And I'm so sorry. And I believe Jesus died for me. I grasp him right now with my hands of faith. And I believe he's taken the judgment for my sin. Cleanse me with his blood. Forgive me of all of my sin. And I believe Jesus rose up from the dead to give me eternal life. And I ask that you give me eternal life in his name. And I open up my heart. And I invite Jesus to come live inside of me. And I know he comes in the person of the Holy Spirit. Never to leave me, never to forsake me. From this day forward, I choose to live my life for him. All right, so for those of you who prayed that prayer for the first time, the words aren't so important. It's the faith in your heart, okay? It's your sincerity. And when you come and you confess your sin, the Bible says God will forgive you of all of your sin. So right now, whoever you are, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. You're forgiven of all of your sin. Past, present, future, small, medium, large, whatever category, you're forgiven. Praise God. And if you invite him to come in your heart, the Bible says he will come in. Right now, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And you need to let him loose. Let him have full control of your life. And the blessings will begin. And he will help you. I know some of you have just made a tangled web, you know. Just sin is so complicated, isn't it? He will help you. You don't embarrass him. You don't shame him. He, he knows what you've done. He knows where you've been. He will help you one step at a time. Sort things out. And the people in this church will come around and help you too. So... You just praise God. And I know afterwards there are pastors here and people who can answer your questions. You come back at one for that question and answer time and, and just begin to grow in your relationship. I married my husband, Danny Lotz. I was 18 years of age. I thought I was in love, and I was, but I didn't know him like I did after 49 years. And so right now you, you're, in a sense, entering into a relationship with the Holy Spirit and you know as much as you need to know to make this commitment, but then you, every day, you need to spend time with him. Every day, you grow in that relationship as you read the word, apply it, live it out, obey it, and it's, that sense of his presence will get stronger and stronger. But I want to go back to that sin for a moment, because you know, on my computer, 
have a little trash can. And when I take something and drag it into the trash and I hit delete, it's gone. And God has just taken all of your sin and he's put it in the celestial trash can and he's hit delete, okay? So your sin is forgiven. Yeah, praise God. Your sin is forgiven. Your sin is forgiven. It's all forgiven. Praise God. So we rejoice with you, but I want to pray for the rest of us. Maybe some of you didn't come down, those of you who are surrendering your life to the control of the Holy Spirit. To be spirit-filled, the best definition I've ever heard is moment-by-moment surrender to the moment-by-moment control of the Holy Spirit. And you just surrender everything and let him take over and ask him to fill you. So I want to pray a prayer of surrender for those of you who are making that decision. So Lord Jesus, we come to you now with praise and thanksgiving for those who have received you for the first time. But those of us, Lord, who have received you, but you're not in control of everything. We come right now and we kneel at the foot of the cross and we give you everything. You can help yourself to anything, everything. I mean, practical things. We give you our eating. We give you our exercise or our lack of it. We give you our entertainment. We give you our marriage. We give you our memories. We give you our miseries. We give you our sickness and our success and our failures and our future and our family and our children and our career. And Lord, we just invite you to take over. Oh, it's such a freeing thing to put that responsibility on your broad, strong shoulders. So I ask now, please, as we confess that we're sinners and we're asking to be filled with your spirit, we know we're forgiven, but we want, we want more of Jesus by giving him all of us. We ask that you fill us and that you revive us and that you send us out into this great city, lights in the darkness, and that you would use us to bring your glory wherever we go, Lord, that that river of living water would flow into us and through us into a city that's thirsty for you and they don't even know it. So we ask that you would use this for your glory. So we pray your blessing on each one and the decisions they're making. Ask that you seal it in their hearts until they can get alone and talk to you about it and talk to somebody else and ask their questions and just begin to grow in this wonderful personal relationship that you gave your life to give us. And we pray these things in the name of the Father who loved us so much <laughs> that he gave us the Son. And we pray in the name of the Son who loved us so much when the Father sent him to earth to die, he came down and died if it had been for nobody else, just for me. Rose up from the dead, ascended into heaven, and we pray in the name of the Holy Spirit who when the Father sent him came down to live inside of us, never to leave us, never to forsake us one day to see us safely home. We pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.